Hi, I'm Amanda. And I'm Rebecca. And this is Full Plate, Full Cup. We're startup leaders turned executive coaches who believe that you deserve to be wildly successful and wildly happy. We interview trailblazing entrepreneurs, business leaders, and creatives so you can peek behind the curtain of how they got where they are today and start carving your own path towards success. Each episode shares personal stories as well as actionable takeaways that you can apply to begin living a more joyful and fulfilling life. Join us to learn how to scale your business, harness your power, and fill your cup. If you like what you hear, subscribe, leave a review, and share with a friend. Thanks for listening. I'm I'm just so excited to be talking to you because Rebecca was like, how do you guys know each other? And I was like, well, it started out with me hiring the way back. <laughs> years ago. But then I just remember that um, when we were sitting at that event in L.A., I just like had like one of those like soul searching conversations. Oh God, totally. I yeah, remember that night. Yeah. And then I'm like, OK, now we're friends forever. Exactly. <laughs> ever, I love ever, it. I'm ever. your biggest fan. Oh, I'm <laughs> your biggest fan. So speaking of your biggest fan, I'm going to read your illustrious bio and then we'll dive right in. So Perfect. Julianne Frazier is a digital marketing expert and the founder of Dialogue New York, the leading global digital marketing consultancy with an emphasis on influencer marketing. Julianne launched Dialogue in 2017 with a mission to connect thoughtful brands and creatives to develop meaningful dialogues that truly resonate with consumers and works with clients like Brooklinen, Shiseido, Seed, and Sakara Life. Julianne has been a pioneer in the influencer marketing in- industry dating back to 2013, when she developed one of the industry's first ever hotel influencer marketing campaigns with Ian Schraker Hotels, supporting creators like Kiara Faragni, Olivia Lopez, Chriselle Lim, and Shay Marie at the very beginning of the influencer renaissance. From there, she held roles at Lacoste as North American Digital Communications Manager, and then moved on to work at Village Marketing, where she oversaw influencer and partnership strategies for brands such as Care of, Capsule, M. Jemmy, Roan, and more. Julianne currently splits her time between New York City and Paris. Oh, Julianne, we're so happy to have you. And I hope I didn't botch any of those influencer names. It shows you how much no, I know about you nailed it. I like, nailed uh, it. I don't know how to pronounce these names. This is uh, not my not my forte. Well, <laughs> as we were just discussing, you and I first met back in 2018 when I brought your agency and actually Ashley Holtz, Ashley Stone now. Uh, was my college friend was like, you have to meet Julianne. She's fabulous. She's amazing. So shout out Ashley for making the intro. Um, But I brought you and your company on to help strategize and scale our influencer marketing program at Sakara Life. But you were, as the bio said, already an OG in social media (laughs) by then. So I'd love to hear about the early days of the industry because you were such a trailblazer. Like I didn't even get on Instagram until like 2016. <laughs> I was I was like late to the party. So talk to me about the early days. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it it definitely wasn't planned. There was no, I did not. Um, so I'm from Western Canada. I finished my business degree there and then I um, moved to New York to finish sort of a specialization in fashion marketing at FIT. So that's what got me in the door in New York way back when. And when I graduated, um, one of the few opportunities that I came across was the social media coordinator at the Traeger Hotels back then. It was Morgan's Hotel Group. And I didn't know what social media coordinator was. I think Instagram was like around for about a year or two. 
quite honestly, nobody really cared about the role whatsoever. <laughs> so it was like a blessing because I was kind of like the intern in the broom closet, like tinkering and testing and trying. Nobody was paying attention, able to just kind of test out content strategies. And like you mentioned, these influencers, you know, who are now huge, huge, huge deals, Kara Fragney, um, Mariana Hewitt, the founder of Summer Fridays, um, Shay Marie, these really large, uh, you know, entrepreneurs and, and creators now um, were coming into town for fashion week looking for a hotel and we really organically just started to you know negotiate what it would look like and start to build these campaigns whether it be um, a photo shoot that we coordinated while they were in town or you know posting an exchange and so those were the, really the early days and like I said it, I, I feel it's kind of a blessing that I was able to test and try and make so many mistakes that nobody mm. was paying attention to. And it, and it catapulted really quickly, um, especially when I moved over to Lacoste, because I remember people started to catch on, executives started to pay attention and they were like, what is this? Like, bring it. Who knows anything about social media? So they were bringing me to the table with like top executives. The CEO was asking me for advice. I was in my like early 20s. Um, and it was really exciting because there was nobody above me or older or more senior that had experience. So that's kind of how it all began, but um, very much not the strategic kind of tactic and program that it is today. It's yeah. really developed. <laughs> that is so fun. And it's, it's funny because it kind of reminds me like when I started my career in hospitality, like I was, uh, I went undergrad at Columbia and people were like, why are you going to go work at a nightclub? And I was like, you're going to see yeah. me like, these guys are the best in the biz. They're going to make it right. And like, I was young. They were trailblazers for sure. And you had the opportunity to just, you know, like redefine that whole industry, I feel like. Yeah. And it was, once again, not strategic. It was luck. So similar to me, like you can't major in nightlife. You can't major Mm -hmm. in social media, right? Maybe not. You You probably can. Yeah. But um, oh, yeah. Because a lot of people listening are either like figuring out what they want to do next in their career, what they want to do with their career, like maybe they want to launch a business. What did you think you wanted to do or what was kind of on your heart when you were a young person moving to New York? And how did that sort of shift into realizing like, oh, no, 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 no. Like this is this is the opportunity. This is the thing. Yeah, I mean, I think so originally applying to FIT and the dream of of New York City from, you know, being in Western Canada was fashion. And I had this like grandiose dream of like working for Chanel. I think it was on a vision board. Chanel, global marketing, that was the dream. Um, Ironically, you know, a few years into starting Dialogue, I had um, many meetings with the Chanel beauty team and what they were launching in the the US. Um, And and just working with a lot of luxury brands, I started to kind of get an understanding of what that entails. I think while I love fashion, or fashion rather, it's it's a big passion of mine. Um, I recognize what I love most is like brand building. And I remember sitting in a guest lecture at FIT, the um, VP of marketing who's still a great friend of mine, a, a great mentor of the years, uh, was guest lecturing, seeing Scott Lux. Um, and I was really excited about how he was describing these hotels, Delano and Mondrian and, and Hudson. They are like so iconic and on, arguably probably one of the most exciting part of my career was working for these hotels and just the richness of the storytelling. And so, yeah, I, I decided to kind of expand beyond this dream of fashion and enter into hospitality. And then that led to health, wellness and culinary and decor. And I just kind of learned along the way that what I loved most was like marketing strategy and, and kind of content creation and brand building. 
um, and that it really translated across many different industries. Yeah, it's so interesting, right? When you actually get into the weeds of things, how you kind of discover these parts of the job that you like and didn't like that you had no, how could you have known before you actually started doing it? Um, So it's interesting. I worked at MindBodyGreen in the very, very early influencer marketing days and ran brand partnerships and influencer. And it was like the wild, wild west back then. And I remember companies like Dialogue started coming onto the scene and everyone was kind of, oh, this influencer who I've just been texting to make deals with now, I have to go through their manager. Like, what is this whole new world? So, you know, you were kind of one of the first to do it. And I imagine it was pretty scary, right? What was the catalyst for you to jump off the cliff, so to speak, and start your own agency rather than continuing to work for someone else or even working for another agency that was just getting off the ground? Yeah, I mean, so... I, previous to starting Dialogue, I was at Village Marketing. I was employee number three. They've since grown to probably around 100 employees now. Definitely um, expanded since then. But I had the great fortune to to work under Vicky, their founder, learn a great deal from her. Um, you know, she taught me a lot in regards to client management and, um, and you know, marketing strategy. And I just kind of felt like there was this opportunity. I always kind of speak, you mentioned the Wild Wild West of influence marketing. It still is the Wild Wild West, if not more now than ever before. But I felt like I saw so many varying approaches to this. I saw there were a lot of PR firms that really understand, they really understood the creativity, the relationship element of influence marketing. A lot of performance marketing agencies that understood the trackability and measuring returns and results. And then a ton of platforms that have evolved over the years, Tribe Dynamics, Grin, Creator IQ. And having done sort of all of the different approaches and and using lots of the different platforms, I thought there was a really unique opportunity to kind of create a hybrid approach um, and develop this kind of program of multi-layered, you know, relationships of influencers to build what I call this sort of halo effect around brands. So I think it was mainly just the confidence in in my ability to to manage clients, having, you know, three, four years of experience on the consulting side, and then just sort of a hunch that I could develop these um, programs. (laughs) And really it started off, it's so funny, everyone kind of asked like, you know, the beginning days were like two, three clients off the bat. I thought, okay, I'm going to give this a shot. I have like a three month contract. So I'm going to try this out for three months. Um, it was just me. I didn't have a team at the time. I didn't have a website. I think I had one brand pitch deck um, to get me in the door. Uh, and so it really started off quite humbly and, and low stakes. But um, I, I realized quickly just, you know, the importance of um, reputation and, and, you know, dialogue grew solely through referrals. We've never, I've never outreached it for new business and it kind of just kind of grew steadily over the years, but it, it certainly started off very simply. I, I love how you said it was basically like confidence in yourself and a hunch that you wanted to follow. We call that a soul thing, right? When there's, yeah. you know, and it kind of just like keeps coming and coming and coming. And eventually you're, yeah. you have the choice to either ignore it and always kind of wonder what mm-hmm. it or follow it and see, see what happens. So, you know, that's what led you to start dialogue. But I imagine some imposter syndrome that crept yeah. in along the way. So how did you deal with that? Or how do you even continue to deal with that? Oh, definitely. I think um, the way that my imposter syndrome really came out was being the natural born people pleaser. Maybe it's my Canadian heritage. I don't know. But I was telling myself this narrative that you know, in order to be a great consultant or to have a successful business, I needed to be on 24-7, available by text, available by Slack, um, 
going above and beyond, never saying no, um, no boundaries. And that's sort of how I got started uh, at the beginning. And I started working with a business coach. It's probably been about three years now. His name's Ben Easter, really changed my life and introduced to me just the notion of, you know, it's okay to assert boundaries, define the way you want to work, um, say no to certain clients if, if you don't have that gut feeling. Um, so I think really early on my imposter syndrome was I'm I'm blessed and lucky to have any opportunity that passes, you know, my desk. Um, in order to keep them, I have to just like run myself into the ground. That really, really has evolved. And I'd say, you know, certainly there's imposter syndrome in, in any scenario. Um, I, I think that is natural, but I do feel a lot more confident, you know, the services we represent, the way that we work, the relationships we have today. So it sounds like you went from saying yes, 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 yes to everything to setting boundaries and kind of picking and choosing who you work with and how you work. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> the talent management and social media industries are so broad. I actually explored starting my own talent management agency back oh, in the no day. Way. I, yeah, I tested a I few friends. That. I phoned a few friends who were like early social media influencers. And I was like, can I manage you for three months? And I realized that it wasn't wow. for me so much goes into it and it can be a 24 seven job. So for you, how, how have you kind of sussed out what parts of the industry you do want to focus on and which parts are not going to be um, on your radar? This industry and influencer marketing has evolved tenfold since I started even six years ago, really we're rooted in, you know, we're a digital marketing consultancy. So first and foremost, and, and Amanda can speak to this, we collaborated so closely for Sakar over the years, but um, was, you know, assessing, uh, coming in and working with the brand and assessing their greater brand marketing strategy. So everything from positioning and messaging to editorial strategy, PR strategy, performance marketing, every aspect of it, um, CRM and whatnot, and finding ways that influencers um, can plug in and support across the board. So we very much um, develop, you know, ways to work with certain influencers, whether it be through events and experiences, whether it's just through gifting and seeding, whether it's through content creation, paid campaign management, affiliate marketing. These are the various layers I kind of spoke to earlier um, that ladder up. Along the way, I had a similar hunch. I was like, listen, you know, we do these negotiations all day long on behalf of brands. Uh, we manage, you know, brands budgets and we uh, engage influencers for campaigns. And I thought, well, maybe we could also manage, you know, talent and do it the other way around. Uh, a lot of respect for talent agents. I don't think it's necessarily a skill set that translates for for us. It, and also it felt like it was very hard to have sort of no like insider training. <laughs> insider yeah, training. <laughs> because I knew like we're trying to get the best possible rates for our brands. And then if I also on the flip side, we're trying to get, you know, inflate the rates of, of our talent, it would have been tricky. So, you know, we kind of tested out different aspects of it, really fine-tuned this dialogue method and approach. And also, you know, as we spoke about boundaries as well, you know, I would test out projects and only gifting and seeding and only events. And I found that for us to really have our magic, we have to do the full scope of what I spoke about to really bring the impact that, you know, dialogue does. So that also, um, along the way, I started to weed out kind of carving out our, our scope and doing small projects and really only working with brands and a monthly retainer capacity that we have the ability to build these. Uh, communities in the long term. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, you know, social media sort of has this 
even though everyone uses it all day, every day, and is obsessed with it, right? It has this kind of reputation of being phony or transactional, right? Like everyone, it's like everyone loves to hate social media and then like spends their whole life there, but that's another story. Um, But you and your company have totally flipped that on its head. I mean, I know when when I met you and brought you in to meet with the Sakara team, I was just like, she's so kind. She's so smart. I just trust her. Like, you know, I've got a sixth sense for people. And I was like, I knew that you had a lot of integrity, which like not to say that lots of people in marketing and PR and whatever don't have a lot of integrity, but you sort of like lead with your integrity. You're like integrity first and then like sales and like, you know what I mean? Like your, your integrity comes up first and then you're sort of like pitch come second, where with a lot of people, it's like they give a lot of pitch and a lot of sales jargon. And then you're like, oh, I think I trust them. But I don't know. Yeah. But um, yeah. you actually named your uh, company Dialogue. And I just check me on this. But the, the mission is to develop meaningful dialogues that resonate. Mm-hmm. So you spoke about in the past being somewhat of a people pleaser. Do clients ever try to push you to do things that don't feel aligned with your ethos or don't feel authentic? And how do you, you know, how do you tell a client, hey, like, love you, but like, that's not what we do, or we're not comfortable doing that. Like, how do you approach those conversations when you're like on retainer with somebody, right? Like, how do you, how do you manage that? Totally. Well, I think it starts first and foremost in the new business process. Um, Before, like I mentioned, I was just so excited to get any opportunity and really adapted to any brand um, and, you know, based on what their needs were. But my new business process is very much, you know, it starts with a list of questions um, when I get introduced to a new opportunity to really dig in and find out if they have the building box in place to make our strategy really worthwhile. And I think oftentimes uh, brands will jump the gun. They might not have a robust social media strategy. They might not have any PR. They might not even have, you know, a brand aesthetic or any sort of, you know, photography guidelines. And if you try and jump the gun and introduce influencers to um, the brand without that in place, it's really, you're going to get a lot of agents asking for a lot of money and uh, and it won't be worthwhile. So I think first and foremost, I I have that kind of um, set of questions just to make sure we're aligned um, before hopping on a call. And then I'm extremely transparent. I really appreciate you mentioning integrity. That's something I'm always striving for, something um, my dad actually has taught me along the way uh, since I was young, just the importance of reputation and integrity in business. And I think more important in New York than ever, because um, it's a tiny town. Everybody thinks New York's such a huge city and it is, but it's very, very tiny. And the amount of times, you know, you'll cross paths twice with people. So I think in uh, my new business conversations, I'm really, really transparent with what we need to be successful I ask questions to ensure that, you know, the the budgets are there, the strategy is there, um, and really do my best not to just sort of adapt and people please, but um, ensure that I'm only taking on clients that um, will really succeed at. And I think that comes with, honestly, your intuition and a gut feeling very uh, that I had to listen to. I ignored it for a long time, but um, I know pretty quickly on a call if I'm jiving with the client, if there's going to be respect and mutual trust there, um, that's equally as important than, you know, the strategy work itself, because um, I'm, you know, connecting my team with these individuals. And if I'm not feeling great about it, um, the impact that can have on my team morale is just so costly. Uh, so I'm very careful to ensure that, you know, there is that that respect and, um, you know, 
just a strategic approach, that the timing is right, not being kind of too focused on um, growing quickly, but growing smartly in, in terms of my business over, over the years. Yeah, such an important lesson, I think, for anyone in any sort of service industry, whether you're like directly doing service. I mean, I, I coach, I'm thinking of clients that I coach who are in like VC, recruiting, like yeah. all across the board. And the the ability to say, mm, this doesn't feel mm. right. Um, I, I've gotten to experience both in my own <laughs> in my own work yep. and through my clients, yep. sort of the strength and the power that comes from being able to say no. And also sort of like the shit show that can unfold when you say yes to somebody and you're like, kind of near like, this is, this, I don't know about this. And then like six months in, you're like wringing your own neck because you're like, why did I say Oh, it's terrible. And it it, it impacts your morale. It impacts your team's morale. You don't do great work. So then it impacts your reputation. I mean, and so true. I just did it again, maybe six (laughs) months ago. And I caught myself where I was putting together a proposal because it was a very exciting, um, you know, notable brand. The opportunity was really huge. And I kind of was blindsided by the opportunity to work with this, you know, yeah. very shiny brand. And I had this gut feeling where I was like, oof, this is not right. And in the end, actually, they were shifting budgets and it kind of went on pause. And I was like, oof, this is, this is great. Uh, I, I dodge a bullet and it, so it can have, it's a continuous process. It's not yeah. like it, all of a sudden you just totally. kind of arrive to that confidence, but um, it's not worth it. <laughs> totally. And you've mentioned a couple of times, like taking your team into account when making these mm-hmm. um, decisions. So when, when you hosted that fabulous dinner a few months <laughs> back um, with such uh, incredible women at the table, still in touch with several of them. Um, oh, great. Yeah. You you talked about the unique ways that you sort of manage and empower your uh, employees. And I, I know that you specifically work to try and tailor the roles that they are serving at your business to kind of cater to their unique gifts, talents, interest skills, et cetera, while also like, you know, running a business. So mm-hmm. I'd love for you to share, you know, for people who are starting to build a team or people who have a scaling team, I was talking to a client yesterday about like, gosh, how do you keep things good when it's not like eight people that I can see with my two eyes at all times, you know, like when the, right. when the team starts to grow right. um, beyond one mm-hmm. little office or one little room, what mm-hmm. what recommendations do you have for for people managing teams? Again, this was such a learning process over the six years. I made many mistakes. But when starting my business, I, again, came in with the New York mentality of like hustle and grind and like a very old school agency structures of entering at whatever coordinator level and, you know, the various steps for growth. And I was learning very early on that I have such unique team members that have incredible um, skills and assets and passion, but entirely different, all of them. We're a team of 10 now. I was kind of thinking about growth for all of them in this linear model of, okay, you're entering, the next step would be client management, running calls, the next step would be strategy. And I wasn't paying attention to really what um, my business coaches, you know, brought to my, uh, my vocabulary is their zone of genius. Um, and that might be, for example, I have a team member who's been a part of Dialogue for five years now. And she is an absolute systems whiz. You'll never meet anyone who can put together programs, systems. She's developed invaluable um, structure for the way in which we outreach and communicate with influencers and build these relationships. And for her, you know, she's been with me five years. Growth didn't look like 
you know, running client calls or um, being necessarily hosting these meetings. Another team member really loved the negotiations and handling sort of the ins and outs of deals and contracts. Um, again, for her growth doesn't necessarily look like, a, you know, the same as, as her superiors. Another team member that came in who just had incredible EQ, um, an ability to really connect with my clients, build relationships, um, saw big picture thinking, could really steer the ship, an excellent leader. And so I have really been thoughtful to craft unique growth plans and roles for each one of them. And it's pretty incredible seeing them all come together. We're like this well-oiled machine and everyone's excited and passionate about the work that they're contributing and all of them know what growth looks like and how they can get to the next level, but it's not the same for everyone. And so someone who might be a manager on the team is not doing the same work as another manager. Um, and so it's a little, you know, unique in that sense. I don't think it's, um, you look at large corporations and they're much more structured, but what I found is, you know, the retention across my team, um, we have, you know, from five years, three years, two years, um, on the team, just their satisfaction. I think that also comes with my belief in this sort of balance and um, finding inspiration for our work offline, not always being plugged into your phones and social media, um, the ability to work remotely. I started uh, my company living between New York and Paris. And so the very base, it was set up remote far before COVID um, and finding that with the trust um, and, and building sort of programs and systems. I just had a team member who was in Paris for seven, eight weeks this summer working remotely. And so I think it's that combination of finding what fuels their fire, what they do best, really finding ways for them to grow in that area. And then also um, really empowering them and trusting them to carve out a lifestyle that is uh, best for them. And I think that combination just leads to really passionate, um, happy individuals. Honestly, I'd say it's what I'm most proud of um, out of this six years of dialogue is, is forming this team. They're really incredible and, and they inspire me and, you know, have led to just my opportunities for me to focus on and it's allowed me to grow as well, focus on growth and innovation for the company. When I took my maternity leave, giving me that ability to really um, trust and empower them and take some time to be with my daughter. So it's been a very big learning process over the last six years, but something I'm really proud of. It warms my heart um, because I am somebody who is so, so passionate about the the potential for leadership to really change the world. Um, we had Edward Sullivan on the podcast, who's like a very, very esteemed executive coach, coaches like, you know, the founders of the biggest companies. And he tells us, he, he has a, a beautiful thing that he says, I won't say it as eloquently, but where, um, you know, a happy employee, like happy bosses, kind bosses lead to more happy children because they have happy parents, oh, right? Their parents, yeah. come home, oh, I love you know, their parents come home and aren't like yeah. miserable, complaining, feeling like they're losers and the, you know, whatever. Yeah. And so then it rubs off on the kids. He had a dad who was very um, unhappy in his work. And so mm -hmm. it, it's a very mm -hmm. um, personal mission for him. And I totally. just wanted to distill kind of like the two thing, two things that you said that um, you kind of gave specific examples for your company, but for anyone who manages, even an intern that's listening, mm -hmm. take an interest in people and trust yeah. them. Like yeah. showing people that you see them. I see your zone of genius. I care about who mm -hmm. you are. And then I trust you. It's like, you're done. That's all you need to do is see people and trust people and they will do great work yeah. and not be miserable. Yeah. And then the company is a happy place. It's like, 
it's not that easy, but but it is that easy. No, <laughs> truly. And, and it's a lot of work. Like it, it takes so, it, you know, the mentorship, the, the training yeah. and the relationship building. But uh, so many people have asked, you know, how can you manage to, to travel and have this like work-life balance? And I think the only way that you can really form that as an entrepreneur, either you hold it close to you and you handle everything and you control everything and you micromanage everyone, or you invest in people and you empower them and you trust them. And it's blown my mind just, and again, this is, you know, the help with my business coach of showing me that this is possible because the amount of stories in my head is disbelief. Like I, I thought it was zero chance this was going to be possible to step away for maternity leave or to, you know, allow a team member of mine to manage all of our client calls. I thought clients only wanted to see me or for the whole team to contribute to a 50 page strategy deck. I thought I'm the only strategist, like I'm the only one that can do it. And those stories are so dumb in retrospect because they do better work. They have better client relationships and it's far stronger now than it was when it was just me kind of running the ship. So I think um, the impact of it is really immense. And I think what you mentioned too, of just taking the time to care about people. I, we, I had an incredible intern uh, that was with us last semester. Really, I, I took a lot of time to get to know her and support her. Um, in the end, her passion was in film. And so, you know, when we wrapped the internship, I was like, listen, can I make introductions? How can I help you? Do you want me to review any, you know, of, of your resumes? And she just sent me the most, like, I, I got so choked up reading her email of how impactful I was uh, on her life, even though influencer marketing was not for her. You know, my agency wasn't necessarily her end path. Um, knowing that, you know, people really can feel that, um, that, care that you put in to managing them. And it just leads to a lot of people will kind of roll their eyes about empathetic leadership, but I cannot express enough of the quality of work I've received in return from caring, being thoughtful, uh, and, and helping people form their path, maybe above and beyond. Like it's really narrow minded for me to think that everyone is going to stay at dialogue for the next decade. Like, how can I help you gain the skills for what's next? What are you most excited for? Is there introductions I can make when you do decide to move on? Like just really having that sort of investment in their future makes a big difference. Well, your employees are so lucky to have you as your boss. Oh, you sound thank you. phenomenal <laughs> and just and so supportive and like their biggest cheerleader, which is a beautiful thing. We need more of that in the world. So you know, <laughs> one of the things that you mentioned along those lines is prioritizing time offline in order mm. to create online. So most yeah. people probably assume that in your line of work and in your employee's line of work, you're just scrolling 24 seven, always in the yes. DMs, always engaging, but it mm -hmm. sounds like that's not the case. So can you tell us some more about that? Yeah, so this has kind of come about twofold. My husband is, is French um, and I've been with him for 11 years and I've really learned the um, passion and the commitment to culture that the French have over the years and just this like dedication to really cherishing time with family. They take off all of August, half of July. They, you know, sit at the dinner table for like four hours. They put so much love and attention into food and wine. And I've just kind of realized how much that's fueled my soul of beer. So I formed um, a lot of new passions from, from being with him and, and learning, you know, having lived in, in France as well. Um, but what I, how that kind of translated to my team and our work was I was really realizing how much of an echo chamber that we live in and how much, you know, we all know that social media is, you know, feeding us the same 
content that we like and engage with. It can become very repetitive. I was starting to realize it when I was designing my daughter's nursery and our um, my Pinterest was the exact same as my other girlfriend who was designing her nursery and my other girlfriend. They were all sharing the same photos. I'm like, this is just so repetitive. Where's the creativity in this? And so my husband challenged me to like, close social and completely design her nursery from scratch from like inspiration offline and so we watched an old you know film that like led to a color scene that I brought in and then we you know came across these these amazing designers that do these great um felt uh, installations and and through that time I've kind of it, it showed me how much more creative how much more unique um that was and that was just from my uh, personal experience so I've started to um, implement that on my team where again, yes, we can scroll and it's very important that we know all of the trends and, uh, you know, various platforms and trends and leading influencers. Certainly that's a big part of the role, but if we're just, you know, feeding our clients ideas that their competitors did well, there's, that's not, you know, what they're paying us for. That's not what we stand for. And that's not going to break through the social noise. It's not going to stand out. So, um, we have these creative mornings once a month where the team, you know, has the morning to do whatever creative endeavor they want from visiting a museum to um, going to a matinee movie or trying out new recipes, um, taking acting classes. Some of the my team members are actors and we kind of come back to the drawing board and it's incredible just the creativity that comes to our team brainstorms when we're concepting social media campaigns. One team member watches like she has a goal to watch 100 movies in a year. So she brings such knowledge of film and, um, you know, historic references. Another team member um, is, you know, very much into photography. And so she follows a lot of uh, she has such an eye and creativity that really comes into play in our campaign. So allowing everyone that space to uh, and Sophie, like I mentioned, who is li living in, in Paris for eight weeks pulled just what she learned about being in a new culture and traveling into our brainstorm. So I just find that we're better consultants, we're better marketers, we're able to come up with campaigns that are going to break through the social noise and have impact, connect, you know, in a really meaningful way with influencers. And it's not from just scrolling and taking ideas from others. It's about getting offline and thinking of something new and fresh. I mean, what's so cool about that is that it also enables your employees to see each other as people, right? As more than just yeah. workers, right? Like, totally. what are they interested in? Why? What motivates them? How do they think? And at the end mm -hmm. of the day, I believe that that's something that helps people work better together and create a oh, better totally. end product in the workplace when they kind of appreciate each other outside of the workplace. So that's very cool. And by the way, your nursery is gorgeous oh, on Instagram oh my gosh thank you so you mentioned that you are a woman of many many hobbies and passions and that's something that many entrepreneurs or even busy employees or ambitious people right who are just nose to the grindstone struggle to prioritize in the midst of work and all of the demands that come with it so you know you just mentioned why it's important to keep these hobbies alive right it, it kind of makes you a better worker but what else does it bring personally to your life outside of work? I just feel, I mean, it's so cliche to say like, you know, the happiness for, for myself or my team members outside of our company, you just, the energy, 
the excitement, the motivation is tenfold. So I'm a really big believer. It's not about the hours. I always tell my team, like, I have very, very high expectations of the quality of our work. We're 100% referral basis, our reputation, our integrity is everything. So we are never going to send something uh, through to a client or, or do a deal with an influencer. That's not you know, the level that we've become known for. Um, and that speaks to, you know, just the sea of hashtag ads and monotony on in influence marketing. We like zero uh, allowance of, of that. So the expectations are high, but it's about working smart. And I always tell my team, listen, if we can get the work done and you can leave at three in the afternoon or you can, you know, like take take the mornings off because your parents are in town and you really want to enjoy yourself. As long as we're all getting the work done on time at the caliber we're known for focusing on each one of our wheels. Like I mentioned, everyone has the kind of area. Um, it's, it's really important to me that people feel they have the freedom because that was me. I used to work at my desk pretending to type. I was really efficient and done my days by like four. And I would like pretend to type until 9 p.m. before my boss left just to show faith that I was like a hard worker. And I just thought that it made me furious. I remember just being at my desk being like, oh, I don't need to be here. I could be like going home and making dinner or like working out or whatever. So yes, I believe in working, you know, um, smart, not, not long per se. Um, I think finding ways to, um, to, and, and purpose in your life outside of work is so important. Cooking is a, a real passion of mine. Um, and really my decompression at the end of the day, I will get home and immediately just cook a meal. And it's funny my husband always knows when I have a really bad day because the meals are extraordinary. He's like, whoa, because I'll just like feel all of my frustration into like the most gourmet epic meal. He's like, whoa, it was a big one today. Um, but I think that it's like a way to like, you know, fitness is a really important aspect of my life. I think it's really important to um, release any sort of stress or anxiety through that. And I really encourage my team to do the same in whatever ways um, that, you know, feels natural to them. You and I have opposite cooking strategies. <laughs> I have a bad day. I'm like, cereal's on the table. Take out. Take out. <laughs> totally. <laughs> so, you know, as we record this, I'm I'm eight months pregnant. And I know that you and I know that you recently became a mom. And so I personally, and I'm sure many of our listeners would love to know how did you navigate taking leave, especially as a business owner, and then coming back to work with a whole new life to care for. Yeah. I, it's interesting. I was just talking about this the other day. Um, I think a lot of women are in our shoes because more and more women are, you know, consulting or starting their own businesses, they're entrepreneurs. And the flip side of that in the long term to have the flexibility to form your own schedule is invaluable. I am so grateful every day that I can really craft my schedule, um, in a way that I can find room for my, my children, uh, my child, my, my daughter. But I think it was something I was most scared of when I was pregnant of all the aspects. I was hearing stories from people. I'm sure you've heard far too many to count, but there are you know, so many oh, stories. Everyone has a story. It's unbelievable. You're never going to, you're not going to have motivation to work anymore. You're going to lose your work ethic. Uh, you'll never travel again. Good luck. Maybe taking 16 flights in her first year. I mean, like these stories of you're not going to take care of your body. Like you'll never fit into your clothes again. You're not going to like ever do your hair and makeup again. Like it was just this really scary, but don't worry, you'll be a mom. And I'm like, oh my God. Like I thought it would just be this immense, truly. I thought I would be the end of Julianne as I know it, the end of dialogue. 
the end of all aspects that are so important to me. Uh, you'll never have time to cook. You'll I mean, on and on and on. Um, and I think leading up to my time off, I was very strategic about it. I did a lot of planning, a lot of training. We had like Friday Julianne maternity meetings where my the leaders on my team and I would literally go through every possible scenario. And I tried to systematize what I do. So a lot of training on EQ, reading the room, recognizing the internal dynamics of the team, recognizing any shifts in a client relationship. How can we get ahead of it? What's upcoming? Should we be sending them a proposal of a strategy three months in advance? All of these details that I would normally play. Um, I really was trying to systematize it through a set of questions every Monday. Um, so we prepared pretty extensively and um, I invested a lot in, in kind of training my team. Um, but what I found was it was only five weeks that I took in retrospect. I think I would like to say, I would have liked to have taken more, um, but it was so beautiful to have that time for myself to really, um, you know, go through the roller coaster of the first few months when you're learning and you're, you're like a fish out of water, but coming back, all of those stories that I was told completely bogus, like total bullshit. Um, the, my team is far better now than before I left. That was one thing when I came back, I didn't come in guns blazing and ready to like assert myself. I sat back and let them show me what they've improved and let them, you know, the amount of things that they streamlined and improved upon while I was out was impressive. Um, we're more successful than we've been in the last six years. We have more, uh, the highest revenue we've had in six years. We are, you know, the largest team. We've grown to a team of 10 um, that we've been in the last six years. Uh, I am personally the most satisfied and the most motivated I've ever been. Incredibly fired up. Absolutely love coming into the office, continuing to grow my company. I still travel. I still work out all these stories that, you know, um, I really feel like you have the ability to craft your own story and your own dialogue. And it's so scary to not believe that early on. Um, but I just found it was actually such a blessing for my company where we've just improved tenfold with me getting out of the way. And my dad would always tell me that, just say, get out of the way and let people do what they do best, like trust them, empower them and stop, you know, meddling and, and micromanaging and being forced physically away, not being on email, not checking. Um, it was pretty amazing to see that, you know, firsthand. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. I um, I think Re Rebecca gets a good dose of the opposite kind of stories from me because I'm like, everything's going to be better. It's going to yeah. be like, it's going to be like life 2.0, like 100%. It is better. It's, I'm like the same person, but just with a bigger heart full yeah. of love. Like it's like, yeah. yeah, I was talking to another mom uh, maybe two weeks ago who is a chief strategy officer at a big company. And she was saying that despite lots of challenges, right, like, you know, there are things that are challenging, but for yeah. her, yeah. becoming a, a working mom rather than just a working woman infused mm -hmm. her with a lot, uh, a lot more fearlessness or maybe just mm -hmm. like not giving as much of a fuck, right? Where she yes. was like, this is important to me, but I also know that life is so much bigger out of here. So like, let's take yeah. some chances. Let's take some risks. Let's, 100%. you know, let's go for it. Let, let's show. And she, um, I have a daughter and a son. She has two little girls. And so I think mm -hmm. when you, when you're a woman, a working mother with a daughter, there is an element of like, let me show you what's possible. Mm -hmm. We got, you know, like you're not going to hear any of that bullshit stories. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I think it's funny when we were talking earlier, when you guys were asking, like, 
at what point did I really kind of push back with that imposter syndrome? And I think it's when I came back after my maternity where I'm like, oh, I have zero (sighs) like time for someone who's going to treat my team like shit. And like, if we're not aligned, let's not waste, you know, like I'm so much more comfortable saying no. Because exactly like you said, like, like, like you're just, you want to be efficient. You want to be productive. You want to come in and you want to get the job done and love what you do and love who you work with. Um, the external stress and anxiety that, uh, you know, a not great relationship can bring on your life and also into your family, it's not worth it. So I think you're right. Yeah. It's just, you set the bar, like yeah. no bullshit. <laughs> yep. Yep. So you yourself have become such a thought leader in the space and I'm curious for people listening, which is probably almost, ev- well, maybe not everyone, but lots and lots of people who <laughs> are looking to create a personal brand, right? Maybe they're not looking to become mm-hmm. an influencer outright, but I know for a lot of my clients who are founders or executives, like they want to create a a personal brand for themselves because at the end of the day, like a lot of opportunities, a lot of validation, a lot of like oh, you're legit because you're ex on social media. Mm -hmm. What advice do you have Mm -hmm. someone who wants to build a personal brand, use social media effectively, not as like a revenue stream, but just as a way to be uh, like a good steward of who they are and what they they offer to the world? I'm like racking my brain for a better word because I despise how cliche this is, but like you cannot, you can't do it if you're not being authentic to who you are. I think that likewise, so many um, clients of mine or um, entrepreneurs in my life will will ask the same thing, you know, knowing that PR can lead to great um, opportunities, like you said, or social following can lead to growth in your business. And I see it firsthand. We work with a lot of influential founders um, and it really helps for the founders of these startups to, to have that kind of public persona. So without question, it's important. But there's no like secret sauce. You can't cheat the game. You have to be authentic. You have to be yourself. If you are not comfortable being in front of the camera, your community will know within 30 seconds. If you're not really great at like um, being too, like writing, for example, uh, and you're trying to launch a Substack or a blog, it's going to be very apparent. It's not going to be compelling. And also knowing your level of comfort of vulnerability and, and, um, and kind of transparency. A lot of women are that share every single aspect of their life have incredible engagement, and that leads to you know great growth and opportunity as an influencer. Um, but if that makes you uncomfortable, waking up every day being forced to share a piece of content or forced to um, you know to be vocal about something in your life, uh, it's not going to feel right. So I think I've learned that along the way. I've seen the impact um, that PR can have on my business. I like a great deal of new businesses come through um, an inclusion in business of fashion or a really great podcast interview. And I can see the importance of investing in that. Um, but I absolutely love working um, with the team that I do at Nude Nation, where they'll come like every single opportunity will gut check it and say, does this feel right? Like, Anytime you're trying to form a story, it, no, it needs to be natural. Like if you have a good PR team that can pull opportunities from what you're doing uh, naturally, from what you're passionate about, that's great. Rather than fabricating a story, fabricating a persona, trying to be, trying to copy an, uh, you know, an influencer or an entrepreneur you admire, 
uh, it just doesn't work. And I see it time and time again. It's not really about, you know, the quality of your video editing or the volume you're posting that helps certainly, but it's about just having something authentic to say and sticking to be true to yourself rather than um, copying. So yeah. it seems like back back in the day, years ago, you could kind of get mm. away being a little bit more formulaic and maybe tick- I'm not a TikToker, yeah. but maybe tick- I know that TikTok is more like authentic, real people, right? Like mm-hmm. there was a there mm-hmm. was a period of time in in Instagram, where I feel like carbon copy uh, influencer oh, yeah. style was like, yeah, you could kind of float. Right. And now it's it's yeah. very different where um, that that is no longer what people are are seeking, which is which is a good thing and hopefully freeing, um, but also scary, right? To say, this is who I yeah. really am, not who I think you're going to like. <laughs> totally. And you know what I think also, we tell our clients this in our strategy work, but I think it, the thing is true for, for entrepreneurs that don't discount offline influence and the a- impact mm-hmm. that you can have mm-hmm. through your circles, through your network. Um, oftentimes we'll develop, you know, um, offline influence into our programs and say, okay, we're going to seed this really amazing group. They might have 500 followers, but we know they're friends, you know, with really people, we know that they have credibility. And I think as an entrepreneur, the way that you show up in your community, the way that you are connecting, attending events, um, less focus just on posting on social media, Mm -hmm. that can be a piece of the puzzle. But I think if that feels more natural, there's a lot that can come. Like I said, we're hundred percent referral basis. And yeah. I think that's very much from um, coffees and lunches and connecting and building these long-term relationships rather than me posting yeah. on social <laughs> per se. So yeah. uh, you can go both ways, but don't discredit what can be done offline. So you're saying real life still matters. <laughs> yeah. Sure, guys. Real life is actually better than internet life. Don't let anyone tell you different. Don't forget it. Don't forget it. (laughs) Well, you know, I love you so much, truly. And I um would love to know. We've been asking people like, what's next for them? What are they dreaming of? What would you like to put into the universe? Start to manifest with us here on the show. Because you know, the episodes don't come out for a couple months, so sometimes it's a little like. You know, it's like a little ding, ding, ding universe. We're knocking. This is what we want. This is what we're birthing. Oh, I love that. This is reminding me of our conversation at LA. Um, (laughs) And I'm such a big believer of it. I mean, I think from dialogue, we're a team member of mine is solely focused on innovation. And so we're always, this industry is changing so rapidly and it's so easy to fall behind. If we just stay stagnant and do the same approach, the same strategy, we're going to be left in the dust. And so I think what's really exciting for me is, is how can our agency evolve in the way in which we're um, crafting our campaigns and providing services to brands? Um, but also from a personal level, I, you know, I'm, I'm hitting my mid thirties um, and excited by what I've built, but also really excited for like what could be next like I think there's so many opportunities to have a hybrid um and bring in my passions for um cooking and decor and um experiences I I really love to bring people together and it's funny forming dialogues both through my work but also I absolutely love hosting and entertaining and cooking and just creating memorable experiences so um Certainly don't see it as an either or, but I, I'm excited to craft up a way to, you know, touch more people in in sort of what I've learned from French culture of hosting and cooking, my passions, um, 
and who knows? I, I, I don't know the way in which it will manifest and come to life, but I just have this like spidey sense that there's something really creative um, in my future to do, you know, in addition to dialogue. So well, well, we're coming. We're coming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, RSAP is yes. I'll bring a bowl of cereal. <laughs> yes. I love it. <laughs> and like my milk filled boobs. Um, so, <laughs> so we all end with a few rapid fire questions for folks. So yeah. ready? Mm-hmm. All right. Hey. So what is one tip for working smart? Working smart. Ooh, um, time blocking. I read um, Tim Ferriss's four-hour work week a couple years ago, and I was really, really impacted by his methods. And I started to implement um, a bullet journal and time blocking my days and being really, really thoughtful with what days are deep work, what days are stacked phone calls, what days am I focused on new business, uh, what days are internal, um, just team meetings. And so uh, I'm really, really, really rigid with the way which I schedule my weeks. And I found that I'm tenfold more productive um, and work smart by having my my mind focused on one element rather than ping-ponging back and forth. So I love that. And hopefully that leads to shorter working hours so you can go do all those amazing passions. And totally. Work. And then what's one tip for working happy? Working happy. It could be, it could translate to, to the sort of belief of getting offline and, and pulling inspiration from offline. But I think, I think that can really not only resonate for people in digital marketing, but I think for anyone, we're so consumed by technology or phone and it's beautiful. It's amazing. It's a great way to stay connected. There's a lot of inspiration that, you know, you can form online, but I think um, a way that, you know, my team and I have just felt really um, personally fulfilled by our work is by getting offline, by focusing on things outside of our work that inspire us. And it's just improved tenfold the way in which we work. And I, I would argue that that could translate to every industry, even accounting. I'm sure that there's such like benefit to getting out of the Excel spreadsheets and, and finding inspiration offline. So absolutely. People just, yeah, it's human. It's we're, we're humans, right? We're not just workers. We're humans, regardless of what we do. Totally. Well, well, we could obviously talk to you forever, um, but we are reaching uh, our, our closing. So where can people listening find you and find Dialogue? Probably best would be on Instagram. I would love, you know, if anyone wants to reach out, happy to connect. My Instagram is Julianne Fraser. Um, Dialogue NYC is our, our company Instagram. Um, and our website is DialogueNYC.com. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. This was so much fun. Thank you, it was... Um, I I already knew so many fabulous things about you, but it was really great to hear you just like articulate the the care and the love and the thought and the passion and everything that you put into your business and your team and your life. And I hope we get to see each other in real life again very, very, very soon, soon, whether in the city or the country. And thank you so much for- wait. Thank you guys so much. And Rebecca, good thank luck you. with all that's to come. It's such an exciting thank you. I'm really excited for you. So. Thank you. I got my two mom heroes on this call. <laughs> thanks for joining us for this episode of full plate full cup if you found this episode helpful please make sure to subscribe leave a review and share it with a friend to learn more about the full plate full cup methodology or to work with us in a more personal way find us on instagram at full plate full cup that's at f-u-l-l-p-l-a-t-e f-u-l-l-c-u-p 
or online at www.fullplatefullcup.com. www.fullplatefullcup.com.